Michigan Hockey Cast 6.3, where we'll not be singing about Jolly Goodfellows. Alex, we did a preview for the start of the NHL, and one of the things that Michigan Hockey did around the time that for opening night or whatever, it's not opening day, I guess, right? Because they don't really play during the day. So it would be opening late afternoon. Did the Lightning play at 5? They play like 5.30. So opening dusk. Opening happy hour. Opening happy hour. I think that'll fit the MGO narrative here. But uh, So Michigan Hockey tweets out this list of all of the players that are, I guess, on NHL rosters. Yep. Is that what it is? There's 25 of them that played at Michigan. And so we thought we would discuss if we could make an actual team out of this. Brian actually came up yeah, with this we, idea yeah, in we Slack. we were asked by Brian. Yes. And then we thought we should just sort of put a team together. Well, he asked how good would this, would this yeah. team make the playoffs? And you, I said that we should use the opener this week to go through the list and try to fit together like a, a dressed roster and maybe throw a couple guys on the end, you know, for yeah. injury or whatever. But um, anyway, so uh, the number one thing we do have to say is that uh, we would need a goalie <laughs> because a goalie was not listed. Michigan does not have a goalie in the NHL. They have two that are kind of close because Strauss is in the, I is, think he's in the AHL. is the AHL and Portillo is. Yes. Right. So, all right, we're just going to think so. I don't, I haven't looked at where he is. We'll but. say those are the two goalies, right? Yeah, that I mean, it's not great. <laughs> do you have an, a third? I think if you were making hypothetical tournament, for example, between different teams that are junior or college teams, you'd have to, I don't know, get replacement goalies or assume some new. I mean, like level. the guys that drive the Zamboni, <laughs> David Ayers. Um, the uh, because there's only 64 NHL goalies, maybe 70, because a few teams are carrying three. Yeah, and you know. A lot of them are European nowadays, especially Russian. Wow. Okay. So there's just not that many North Americans. You just wouldn't be able to like have each team field a goalie because that would because it's the most important position in the sport. It would just be like, does your university happen to produce Connor Hellebuck? Like UMass Lowell would have a <laughs> would shot. Win, would win the they, whole they, thing. They'd have a shot legitimately in this <laughs> tournament. If they're going up against Michigan and it's Strauss, like I, you know, Strauss is a decent minor league goalie. But yeah. like, let's be real here. Yeah. There's a big difference. So I, I think we just have to assume. Neutral baseline goaltending. It's like for if, these different. It's teams. like if you're starting Pedro Martinez in his prime, and you're just like, well, what does our lineup look like? Does it matter? Like yeah, he's I just going to strike it, out yeah, twenty I mean, guys. I mean, it's yeah. like Pedro, like or I don't know, it'd be like a, a pitching matchup, of yeah. like Garrett Cole against Tommy Henry. <laughs> Sorry, we're just not in the great spot. <laughs> Tommy, not. Tommy had a decent season for Arizona, but like, you hey, know. you almost pitched in the playoffs. If he's anyway. healthy, he absolutely would be. Well, he yeah. was their third, their third best pitcher this year. So we'll just say, okay, the goal isn't here to decide who the best college or junior team is. It's just can you fit one together? And having guys that are, I don't know, in the AHL is you could do worse, right? Yeah. Like anyway, so. They have a list. You can look it up on Michigan's Twitter page. I'm not going to read off all 25 names because that would be tedious. But we came up with lines and kind of discussed them and threw things back and forth. And you had Larkin as the number one center with Zach Hyman and Kyle Connor on it. 
that makes a ton of sense. That line would be a lot of fun. Well, Larkin played with Hyman. He did. When they were here for the one year they played together. Yeah, I mean... And Connor was the year after. Yeah, there was no overlap there. But Larkin and Connor, holy cow. (laughs) That would be a dream pairing. Because those are two of the, you know, 15 to 20 fastest guys in the league. But also, Hyman is perfect for them because he's going to be in and around the net the whole time. Yeah, that... If you watch the game on Saturday between the Red Wings and the Lightning, that that 2-on-0, 2-on-1-ish... Larkin to brink at rush goal like that's him and Connor all the time yeah that would like that would be let the horses out of the barn so then the second line following them you had Matty Beneers at center okay that makes a lot of sense and then the guys in the wings would be Josh Norris who technically would be a center because Michigan has like eight centers but we'd put him there and then who did you have I had Pacioretty if he's healthy if yeah I mean Norris needs to be healthy too but Patches obviously his head more severe long-term injuries recently. Right. As recently as like a year and a half ago, he was still a 35 to 40 goal scorer. So he's a top six player. Yeah. Easily. And I think that would be my like preferred in the top six matchup line. Cause I think Larkin and Connor, that line's probably going to give a lot back defensively. It's going to score a lot and be a high event line. Whereas Beneers and Norris, I really like their ability to be a little more defensive, but all three guys on that line are, are, well above average shooters, and that's that's a nice thing about that line. And then you had JT Comfer as the third line center with Fantilli on one wing, and on the left wing you stuck Kent Johnson. Yeah, this is kind of an awkward line. I think you'd have to shelter it some amount. is kind of a weird fit for these other two guys, obviously both being young and being mostly all offense players at this point in their careers. Comfort balances it out. I don't think I would use this line a ton, but the guys on the wings are just too talented to not have in your lineup. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't... I mean, that... Or I should say that that makes actually a ton of sense. And then the fourth line... See, I thought about putting Cop higher up, but you thought maybe putting him on the fourth line with... Cop and Comfort are pretty interchangeable players. So you could... Yeah, yeah. You, could, you could flip them, but if you had Cop... If you had Cop, and then on the fourth line, you could also add a guy like Tyler Mott, who they played yeah. together at Michigan. You could use Andrew Cogliano if you wanted, sort of a PK guy. You also said Phil, Phil, Phil DiGiuseppe yeah, could also fit in. I can't believe that DiGiuseppe is still on rosters in the league. one of the more unlikely stories, but he he's just kind of found a niche. And the last year and a half, he's played in Vancouver, and he's played with more up in the lineup with talented guys. And he's really been surprisingly good in that role that... He just forechecks really well. He digs pucks out. He's just a useful player. Has he ever played on like a semi? He's ever played on a playoff team? Not really. I mean, he's a guy that plays 30, 40 games, then goes down, then yeah. comes back up. Yeah. But yeah, you could put him there, or, or you could put Cogliano, either one. And then your your scratches that, you know, would be your, what, I guess you'd call them 13th, 14th forwards, would be obviously the guy that you wouldn't put of the four, three or four that we were talking about just here, um, you have the options like Johnny Beecher, although he's maybe not. Sam Eskevich is a I different mean, kind Sam of player. Sam Eskevich and Beecher both just played their first NHL game. So right. That's, and so Bortolo just scored his first NHL goal. So those guys, and Fantilli has as well, but obviously Fantilli was a more talented player at, at the college level and all that stuff. So either way, you're going to be slotting in probably one guy in the lineup. The other guy you could bring in in certain situations, depending on where you are, is Luke Glendening because he does a couple of things. Yeah, you could put He Glenn keeps Denning, getting you games. Could, you could put Glendening on that bottom Would you have line. said DiGiuseppe or Luke Glendening plays more games? 
<laughs> I don't know. I wasn't really a, a big Michigan hockey expert in 2013. But you were like 14 years old. Yeah. <laughs> That's like well, when we're all our I wasn't allowed to watch thing. any of the games because they were on, you know, obscure, Too late. obscure streaming platform. <laughs> you didn't have them at the time. Um, which it, Okay, so that's pretty good. Even with a couple of scratches, you still have a little bit of depth. I mean, that, and that group has a ton of offensive talent. And, and about three guys that play defense? <laughs> yeah, I mean, this team is really going to be an offensively minded team. But the reason it can outscore just about any other junior or college lineup you can make is the defense. Because you have... So the Four top or five world class so offensive the, defensemen. The top pairing on defense we decided are probably going to be Quinn Hughes with Jacob Truba, just because they fit a little bit better stylistically. Yeah, the nice thing about having Truba on the team is that there's a decent chance if we get matched up with London that he can just clock Matthew Kachuk and he's out for the rest of the series. <laughs> and then you lose. Well, then you might lose Truba and. <laughs> But the, but the depth that Michigan has is, is a lot. So Hughes and Truba is a nice pair because both those guys can play forever. You could ride that pair 25, 20. I mean, mm. Quinn has played unfathomable amounts in Vancouver. Well, he's young, too. Yeah. So it's and, not like he's... And Truba can play a lot, and I think that's the pair you lean on the most. So when they leave the ice, then you bring on the pair of Owen Power and Zach Wierenski, which, wow. That's a lot of fun. <laughs> that's... A lot of first-round picks. Wierenski is what he is, a very talented offensive player and a guy that unfortunately recently has really struggled to stay healthy. But yeah. he's very good when healthy. And Owen Power, defensive game, still a long way off, but he was very good offensively in Buffalo on a, on a high-scoring team. So I think on this sort of team, he could absolutely fit in. And then you have kind of three guys that we kicked around a little bit. Um, we both decided that John Merrill needs to be on the third pair because somebody he has to play to some play sort of defense kill, or whatever. And then they would either play with Luke Hughes you could use or Cam York. And I think either one, not the exact same person, but similar skill sets. I think York is a lot more responsible. I'd feel probably more comfortable in there. It's just tough to put Luke in the lineup when you have already three like high-octane go, offensive Go, 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 offense. Yeah. Because yeah. at some point, you don't have Whereas York and Merrill, I think you could be like, yeah, they can play 14 minutes and we're all right. Yeah. And then you have Jack Johnson still in the league somehow that you could that you could play with an injury. So I, it's interesting because I mean this is a this is a legitimate team that has depth at defense that off the ice and for and at forward. It's a legitimate team. It's I said that assuming they got reasonable goaltending that they should be a playoff team. It's not a perfect team. It lacks you might say true game-breaking players, so to speak, in in the way that a couple other teams uh, that you could build out of colleges or CHL teams would have. But there are way too many really good players here to not be a playoff team. So it's almost like a slightly better version of the Kraken. A lot better version. <laughs> a lot better. Well, not with the goaltending, though, right? So. <laughs> well, <laughs> because look, you have Larkin, who is a legitimate top-line player. So is Connor. So kind of is Hyman. Veneers is a legitimate top six center. So was Josh Norris. Pacioretty was a heck of a goal scorer when he was healthy. Your bottom six guys are fine. Your defensemen, you have three to four top four top pair type players. There's just too much talent, way too much talent to not be a good team. But you also have lineup flexibility too, where you wouldn't have, like the people we listed at center, there are people on the wing you could slide in and out too. I mean, if there's injuries, if there's certain matchups you like, uh, there's just a lot of different options. And I would guess that it's 
if you're going to be deeper at center or at wing, center's probably more desirable. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, the center depth is great. The only teams I could see rivaling this, honestly, BU could put together a really good team with Matt Kachuk and Clayton Keller and Trevor Zegras and Jack Eichel and obviously McAvoy and Grizzlick on the defense. And we're not assuming goaltending, but if we were, then obviously Ottinger and that would be and he's- a, a heck of a team. I think Michigan's a little bit deeper than that team, but they've got some great players. London, obviously, great players as well. Not England, London Knights. The London Knights, yeah. Marner, Kachuk, John Tavares, Patrick Kane. Um, the defense there is a little weak, but the forward group is unbelievable with MVP caliber guys. And then Minnesota, is they wouldn't be able to score very much, but they could build the best defensive and deep blue line and kind of trap you and grind you down and that sort of thing. So I think those four teams, if we could organize a tournament, like one summer, instead one of summer, doing like yeah. an Olympics, they should do a, yeah, I think those, a juniors. I think those four teams would be a lot of fun. The other CHL teams can't really match because there are way too many CHL teams to accumulate yeah. that amount of talent. So you'd have a p- couple teams that have a couple yeah, like superstars. Kelowna has some guys. The Sioux have some guys, but there's not a ton beyond that. But then the drop off from yeah, there. Yeah, there's just a lot like... of other teams that it's like, oh, you know, they kind of, they had one guy, right? Like Ramuski Oceanic. Like, oh, yeah, we got Crosby. Yeah. And then who else do we have? Right. <laughs> well, because, like, that's it. <laughs> right. Uh, and, and a bunch of ECHLers. Hal- Halifax could have a decent team. I mean, he, he sure was there, McKinnon. But, again, you just fall off But then their, their line mates are going to be in the ECHL. Yeah. So, so that's... Like, that's like, <laughs> yeah. But it's an interesting thought. And I mean, it's kinda, again, you know, Regina. We got Connor Bedard. Who else do we have? <laughs> we have the rink manager. <laughs> But it's an interesting sort of grounding thought because you're like, you know, we've, we've been doing this hockey cast for a few years now talking about different guys and, and a lot of them have played and then moved on. And you think back to even before that and, you know, there's just a lot of Michigan players. There in are the a lot of Michigan players. And and granted, they're all, they're all, most of them are pretty talented in the sense that they were pretty high draft picks. I mean, even going back to like Cogliano and Jack Johnson, like those guys were really high picks when they were here. And now they're, you just see the development that Michigan has or the platform that Michigan has, has given a lot of players to go to the NHL. I think within three or four years, the team could be insanely good because yeah, you'll have like Cogliano and Patrick ready age out, but then getting but Fantilli's if you, if you have just really a few good. of the of the last couple years guys really hit, then and, and you'll still be at a point where the cops and Larkins will be decent enough players to continue to contribute. Then that's when your team will be like, yeah, we're insane. Yeah. Yep. Well, that was a fun little exercise. All right. So again, you know, we had a Saturday night hockey game that we both watched. I didn't write about it. Um, we will touch on the second watched game. Watched is a relative term. Well. There you go. And so we will touch on that more in the second segment. We'll go over the first game, and then we'll get to the second game and sort of some scores and look ahead to next weekend. Uh, the, the game that we did get to spend a lot of time focusing on was game one at UMass, where apparently Michigan has never played before, I think they mentioned. Uh, I guess that's not super surprising since they've been basically relevant in the last six or seven years. And before that, I don't even know if Michigan's played them since I've been following but um, the first couple things of note were that Tyler Duke did not play. 
So he gets hurt at the end of the, the Sunday Providence game, um, is spotted with, I guess, in a boot or something at some point during the week. It's unclear. There hasn't been an official statement that I've seen or heard. I don't know if you have there or are, talked to anyone. There are rarely official statements unless it's a long-term injury. So Duke didn't play the whole weekend. Josh Arico did. And they did start Jake Barcheski in net, which is, was a relief. I was a little worried after the, the end of that third period if they'd go back you know, against Providence, if they'd go back to a tandem and start West and then Barcheski. But Barcheski played both games, and you know I thought you know we'll get to more of the details. But I thought he played well in both games. Uh, so you know Michigan's now, I mean, less than paper thin on defense. You just basically have three guys that Michigan was counting on to get a lot of minutes in Trust Scott Warren and Seamus Casey. And then Steve Holtz was, you know, originally going to be sort of fighting for a sixth spot. Maybe he gets it, maybe he doesn't. Now he's thrust into the second pair. You have Luca Fantilli and now Josh Rico. And I don't know what that looks like, like if you would have asked me. Um, and it's still UMass. You know, you thought Michigan was going to have an advantage. But, I mean, that's a lot of minutes to guys that you didn't think we're going to play a whole lot. I mean, you yeah. know, if you if we were doing this in July, you would have said that maybe one of those guys plays. Yeah, and Enrico played in this game, but not really. And <laughs> he didn't until the game was out of hand. He took one or two shifts when the game was yeah. competitive, but they were really playing with five defensemen. And so the first part of the game mostly goes to UMass. Um, Michigan sort of is outshot 5-1 to one over... You know, the first five, ten minutes, they do kill a power play after Steve Holtz takes a penalty. Or they kill, yeah, they, you know, they kill a UMass power play. Steve Holtz gets a cross check. Um, and the, the puck I had didn't even leave the zone. I don't think it left the zone the entire time. There was a face-off or the puck went into the netting or whatever, but it didn't, there was no clears for two minutes. A little dicey, uh, but but Barcheski makes some saves and they get out of it. Um Michigan threatens a little bit, and then we have probably uh, one of the bigger events of the evening that has a trickle-down effect to the next day, where um, Pletsky is just rocked in the head, and we had a room full of people watching this game, and it everybody just kind of screamed when they saw it, because this is seems like contact to the head very easily, which in the end may not be enforced in Hockey East. Refereeing fiasco. In this game, because it's a big open ice hit. It didn't look incredibly predatory. I doubt it's penalized at all at the NHL level, but this is college hockey. And we've established a reasonable baseline over several seasons now. And that sort of thing is almost always a five-minute major, certainly in the games that Michigan plays. And <laughs> Especially if they take them. <laughs> and so that the fact that it wasn't was pretty baffling. Because a couple years ago, there was definitely a time where it kind of felt like the rule was a little like targeting where it was just impossible to know what is and what isn't. But since then, we've gotten a pretty decent hang of it. And this seemed pretty textbook, if you ask me. And it's not like you or I agree or disagree with any of the particular rules. The one thing that we do talk about is that we'd like some level of consistency. And so in this case, you know, when you watch the replay, even after you watched it originally, it just looks like there's there's no other option here. Yeah. This this is a hit to the head, and it, that's just what we've seen, and it needs to be called. It wasn't. And, I mean, whatever. Like, that's just apparently what refereeing is, or at least college hockey refereeing is. But um, So he goes down, and 
tries to get up, can't, gets a lot of help off the ice. And I mean, I, I'm not going to speculate on when he's going to be back, but based on what you saw, it, I would have been, there was no way he was going to come back that game. It seemed like he was going to be out for the weekend and going forward. I mean, who knows? Yeah. And you didn't want to have him be injured because Michigan is already pretty light at, at forward everywhere, sure. apparently. Um, and then that just puts a little dent in the assist quest that we have for, for Chase Pletsky. But uh, Michigan does get a power play a little bit later after a tripping call. Um, they don't do a ton. They get a couple chances. Taylor McCart for UMass takes a, a holding call after that, and then Michigan gets their second power play, and they do cash in on this one. Uh, Rutger makes a nice little move, of a, a pass to get to Dylan Duke, who gets in the slot. He slides it to the dot, and TJ Hughes one-timers it into the back of the net. Uh, pretty nice play on the power play there. That, that is not traditionally how Michigan always sets it up. It is a beautiful play right off the entry. It's really all Dylan Duke. I mean, walks down the slot and makes a really high-level deceptive play, looking the goalie down and then making the no-look pass across to TJ Hughes, sucks the defenders in. That's that's NHL caliber stuff. That's Nikita Kucherov stuff. Like that's, And we haven't seen a ton of that over his career. From Duke, no, and so that was a really nice play. That's the best part of it is, is he's generally carved out a role as a net front guy, a corners guy, a dirty goal, rebound, fight for loose change type of guy. And this was a very creative play. And, I mean, if he adds that to his game, <laughs> I, I mean, like you said, you know, it's an NHL, that was an NHL play. Like you're, you're talking next level now. Uh, Michigan doubles their lead not too soon after after that. Garrett Shifsky kind of walks down from the blue line near the top of the house and just beats Brady. Like yeah, this I, is not great from Cole Brady. UMass had this issue in the game where they were Michigan off the entries were, would come into the zone and then a four checker would play man carry the the entry guy back up. Michigan would come in, they'd button hook. The guy would follow him up, and the other players in the zone would all compress like right down to around the front of the net. And so Michigan had a lot of success curling back up top, then sliding a pass down, and all of a sudden there was this huge space between the defense where mm-hmm. you had a couple of four checkers high and everyone else around the net. And on this play, like several others in these two games, you have a guy allowed to walk a long way in, Yeah, and there's just no pressure on him. So it's it's a high-danger look, sure, but at the same time, again, as we always say, you kind of expect goalies to make those sorts of saves. And yeah, you couldn't tell if he saw it or not. Um, he didn't really react, so it seemed uh, on first look that I thought maybe he didn't. But I don't know what else possible. What else are you <laughs> looking at? I suppose. So there's one argument that says that UMass out skates Michigan for pretty much most of the first period, but Michigan scores two goals late, and I guess in the end you'd rather have the goals. So According they, to the broadcasters, the packed crowd was furious, <laughs> even though... How many sure, people do you think were sure at Sure looked game? like it was only 40% full on camera, but they kept telling us how full it was. Well, and they kept threatening that it was going to explode if anything <laughs> positive happened. So um, the second period starts a little crazily as Seamus Casey makes one of the worst defensive zone turnovers that I can remember him making in his career where he just kind of passes it right to a UMass guy who walks in and and Barczewski makes a phenomenal save off of this so you know we're a few minutes in he's been a lot of the difference so far I thought he was pretty good early on in the game when Michigan was still sort of struggling to get into any sort of rhythm and then you know Casey just with a bad giveaway 
and Barczewski makes a save. And that's kind of like, those are saves that he, if he makes those kinds of saves, that's a different level from Barczewski. Because the thing we figured is that he'd be good positionally, he would be good in traffic, and he would make the saves you would want him to make. The spectacular, the quick change stuff is like some of Portillo's specialties that we didn't see a lot of in Barczewski when we looked at his numbers in film. And this was one of those uh, just kind of miracle saves that he pulls out. Yeah, really good save from him and continuing to really assert his argument for being the full-time starter. So just after that, uh, we Michigan adds their third goal. Uh, Luca Fantilli getting more minutes has a nice sort of diagonal pass from the blue line down to the wing to McGrory, who goes across to Dylan Duke, who tries to one-time it and doesn't, and then tries to swing again and doesn't, and gets about three or four swings before he finally hits it, and it goes into the net uh, somehow. I... I <laughs> Well, the, he wasn't really on the in the crease. He was. No, he was very far away. From he the was very, right, and I guess I wouldn't expect that to go in either, but uh, it did, and it was three nothing. He was almost in the faceoff dot by the time <laughs> the final swing happened. This play is the stuff that the internet scouts love about Brandon Narado's systems. I mean, this is really picture perfect sort of modern offense where you have guys all skating around, putting the defensemen all kind of. Just all over the place. The just five, getting them out the of position. The five UMass players are in the middle of the ice, not on the perimeters or challenging anything. They're just trying to keep up. It's like kind of like they're standing there in the middle of a game of musical chairs, and they're just confused <laughs> about what's going on. And they pass right through all of them with pretty surgical precision. The last pass across gets a little bit blocked, and then there's the scramble, but eventually it goes in. And, you know, good offensive system, bad goaltending kind of combine in that way. 3 nothing, but Michigan gives one back soon after that. It's a two-on-two, or looks to be a two-on-two, and Nazer just kind of gets beat back door. I, I, it seemed like maybe he stopped skating for a second and then tried to catch up. You had a really nice pass across from Musa to Bollinger, who tips it in behind Barczewski. But Barczewski, I think, thinks that the guy... it's He doesn't think it's a two-on-one. So he's expecting to not have to get across to defend an open look and be able to take the guy coming down the wing. But the pass does get across. Nazer can't get there in time as Bollinger beats him, and he just kind of taps it in back door. I don't really put anything on Barczewski. It seems like Nazer kind of needs to get back on that. I'd have to go back and watch that one to get a sense of what exactly happened. But I don't care enough to do that because Michigan won 7-2. to two, So, you know, it's not really relevant to the overall game story. Uh, but it seemed like watching it live that they had to have been at the end of a shift because Nazar was really he just gassed. He just looked really slow. Yeah, and, and that's, that's not really his thing. So that would be my assumption. Now, in your experience, did the crowd explode and change? It didn't didn't seem like the it. trend of the game after the UMass finally got on. We were promised this. Didn't pretty much all weekend. Yeah, it didn't seem like it. So it's three one. Um, and then Michigan takes over again. The puck gets into the corner, and Jackson Hallam is is probably what we estimated 10 to 15 feet behind the guy for UMass going into the corner, makes up that distance very quickly, gets in the corner, outmuscles him, wins the puck, throws it to the slot where Garrett Shivsky's walking in, 
and Shifsky, I think the first shot is either he doesn't get it off or it's saved, and Shifsky is able to tap the rebound in for his second goal of the game. Uh, that's if they're getting goals from Garrett Shifsky on the regular. That's a really good sign. This is a goal that, if you're the coach for UMass, is really going to drive you crazy. And watching this game, this is the one where you know it's over because this is just a classic. They want it more goal, like. You got four guys in the zone versus one and then a second trailer. Even if your first guy gets beat, which really shouldn't happen, it's a little lackadaisical from him, you got to tie up the other guy. And they let him walk right down. No one's watching Shivsky. He takes the pass. He shoots. Save is made. Follows it up with no one boxing him out and jars it free and puts it in. Like, just didn't seem like UMass <laughs> was trying at that point. Well, I mean, they were a bit out of the game at 3-1 and, and probably deflated by the fact that they played well and didn't score, and then Michigan just kind of cashes in. But at this point, it's 4-1. to one. They get a power play right after this. Casey just, re- re- at the very beginning of the power play, walks into the slot and just buries one in the top corner. Now it's 5-1. to one. And at this point, I mean, the game is over, right? I mean, I... Anything, you know, you don't want to say that because of Sunday when it was over until it wasn't, and then it was. But it just did not seem that UMass had a whole lot, and Cole Brady was letting in goals because at some point he wasn't even facing the right direction. Cole Brady, not good in this game. UMass was thoroughly outplayed, yes, but was not really making many saves at the same time. And these are a lot of looks where he's kept clean. It's not like he had to slide across a lot. He's facing shooters down one-on-one and is not making the save. Michigan gets a power play in the third period, um, and Brindley takes a shot from one of the left wing, I believe, and Duke is there to either deflect or poke in the rebound to make it 6-1. to one. Again, not a not a great goal. Uh, from, I thought he... From did he tap it in on the back door? It, it kind of looked like a... He was kind of off to the the other side of the crease. Yeah, well, he, it, he had one positioning on his guy, and it kind of looked like it. I'm not sure if it was a rebound. I'd have to see a replay, but from the one I just looked at watching it live, it looked like he kind of might have tipped it in himself. But yeah, I mean that's a more that's more of a typical Duke goal <laughs> than than his other one. But so it's six one. Uh, UMass gets a penalty after an Orico hold. So Orico is now in the game. Yeah, he got to play in the third period. He played six one. Yeah, I played a little in the end of the second, and then in the third. Um, and I just kind of laughed when he took the penalty because he's standing in the corner with the guy trying to harass him, and then he falls down, and he's clearly <laughs> holding yeah. on to the guy. And you're just like, yeah, he's just not quite like he's ready just yet. Um, and this was not as good, I didn't think, from the penalty kill. Michigan had actually had a pretty good penalty kill throughout the evening. And um, this pass goes from sort of one midboards through the slot and even the crease to uh, the backside, and it's tapped in. And it looked like Holtz and Truscott maybe could have gotten sticks on it, but it gets all the way through. It's tough to put this on Barcheski because it goes all the way across uh, through basically your entire penalty kill. And, I mean, it doesn't matter, but for Michigan penalty kill purposes that they've already struggled with, you would have liked to have seen a, a break up there. Sure. I don't really care too much about games that were in score effects time. Like, you're just waiting for the clock to run out. 
Okay. Well, there's one more goal to talk about, and then the clock will run out. But this was this was the one. This was the goal. Cole Brady isn't on the hook for. I mean, yes. But this is like a. I mean, this is one of the best bank passes I've seen since Alex Ovechkin passed it to himself. Where, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> where Brindley is in his own zone and hits the perfect angle as Nazer and Rutger are breaking out. Hits him on the right in stride. They both come in together, a pass across, and Rutger finishes. This is the part of the game where we're up 34 points in the fourth quarter, and now we're shooting 32-foot pull-up threes <laughs> on our possessions. Like, that's such a, you know, just <laughs> funny bank pass there. Like, again, this is a trick shot time. <laughs> we're just going to flex on you right now. And... That stretch pass off the wall and then a beautiful pass across. It's this is a skills competition portion of the of the broadcast. So the last thing we can discuss in this segment before we move on is you know Michigan jumbled their lines a little bit because they played their probably top three forwards together in Brindley, McGrory, and Nazer. That was not the case in the Providence series. So they did go hero line with putting those guys up top and you know filling in the lines behind that. You know, I was talking to Brian about it on Saturday, asking his thoughts, and you, I assume, have thoughts on, do you like that line playing together? Would you rather space those guys out and, and fill in guys around them? Or I'm fine let, giving it a look for now until we figure out who the best players on the team are and what combinations really work. The thing about doing that really is that you ha- it has to be extremely good to justify doing it if those are your three definite best players. And we still have enough. There is still a lot of season to be played before we really know that. Sure. You think about when Boston famously used the perfection line with Bergeron, Marshan, and Pasternak. Those were clearly their three best forwards. And in order to justify using your three best forwards all on one line and not spreading them out throughout the lineup, they have to be really good at at an extremely, insanely good level. And they were. They were the best line in the NHL for a few years there. And so if that... If that's what is happening and you can just cave in anybody, then yeah, you can justify it. If they're only somewhat better than other combinations, then I think it makes more sense to spread it out. But look, we don't necessarily know who, again, the best players are. We have a hunch, but I have to wait and see a little bit more. All right. Well, let's take a break. We'll come back and we will talk about game two and other games. I can't believe I'm doing this. If you find yourself in the penalty box, you want a Michigan man arguing your case, call criminal law attorney and former prosecutor Jonathan Paul tonight. It's 248-924-9458. Or visit his old website at michiganlawgrad.com.
game two on Saturday night uh, after a penalty-filled first period where Michigan, I think, took three penalties but killed them all off. Um, starts, at least in the second period, I guess, kind of the way that game one went where Michigan does get a couple of goals and they get them pretty close together. Uh, Frank Nazer scores from distance on the power play and Garrett Shifsky scores uh, off of a rebound of a Moldenauer shot. Um, Those were both plays again where Michigan was able to create some decent space in the offensive zone for a shooter to get a, a clean look. And the first one beat Hrabel pretty clean through a screen, which was nice. And then the second one he makes a save on, but Shivsky finishes it off. So that's the one thing we do need to talk about is they played Hrabel instead, who is their second round draft pick, uh, a giant of a man in net instead of Cole Brady, who I, I guess I don't understand why they thought he would be better than Hrabel, but um, I, I've not been at UMass practices, so I cannot really say for sure. Uh, when we watched him play to whatever extent we saw him play on Saturday, as we did not focus as much as other things were going on that evening. Um, I, it, to me, it didn't seem like it was close, but... <laughs> yeah, Hrabel uh, looked a lot better. He obviously was drafted a lot higher. And Brady, Brady's not Strauss' man, right? Yeah. If you want to compare this to when Strauss and Portola were together, Brady has been very middling as a college goalie and that might be a little generous i mean he was on arizona state they weren't that great then he goes to umass it's not like he was an established dude as a starter that that justifies picking him over the 37th overall pick at a you know at a position where he was the second of his kind off the board right so it's two nothing and then steve holtz gets called for a major um, he cross-checks a guy in the head. Uh, Peter was texting me about it and just said that it was a really good call, a terrible play. Um, but the frustration there is the fact that, that the day you're... before, <laughs> they didn't call something that was s- similar. Well, I think the biggest frustration is the fact that you played the previous game with five defensemen. and Well, that's a different point, yes. <laughs> and now Holtz gets five in a game. So now you're down to actual five defensemen. And really four. And really three? I don't know. I mean, it depends on where Luca falls in. And yeah. Yeah, it's I mean, basically it's... we're now playing original six-era hockey, except <laughs> in a modern world where you're not expected to play two-and-a-half-minute shifts. Michigan is capable of killing off that power play, though. They do a pretty good job. They leave the second period, and it's two to nothing, and you're kind of like... I, I mean... You know, it had been a long day, and we're sitting there watching it, and you're kind of like, okay, we've beaten them again, it's 2 nothing. we've taken their best shots, and then I don't know what was said in the intermission, or if UMass came up fired up, they did get a number more power play opportunities in the third period that I think what UMass said in the locker room was, let's have them take a lot of bad penalties. (laughs) Do whatever you you can to get cross-checked in the neutral zone. (laughs) So Michigan also takes penalties in this period. Um, Ryan Ufko scores to make it 2-1 to on the power play. This, I think, was on Seamus Casey a little bit. This is ridiculous. He tries to skate out of his own house uh, between at least two guys and turns the puck over. Barczewski makes the first, like, two or three saves after that as he's down and trying... There's no, and there's no boxing out going on. A lot of standing around. 
I mean, this is the penalty kill that we were sort of nervous about. And but they, it's it's we should preface by saying it's Josh Ernesty taking an offensive zone penalty up two nothing in the third period. Yeah, that's your problem. That that's a bad start. Yeah, and then the penalty kill was not much better. Nope. And, and then on the very next shift, it all goes wrong as well. I mean that 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 swing was the moment. Because UMass gets a goal, and then they got the momentum. They they got their legs going, and Michigan is just flat-footed. Yeah. I mean, at 20 seconds before they score that goal, Makar comes down the wing. And this is not the good Makar. This is the other one. Hey, he and, had 10 goals last year. And he just zooms right by Trescott and takes an obscure angle shot. Varchesky saves it. But yeah. you're watching that, and you're like, you can't get crossed up like that. Come on, man. And then you get a board battle. UMass wins it. Michigan is just totally with their head spinning in the defensive zone. They're not structured at all. Five guys are on the same side of the ice. They go across. The guy walks right down, has all the time in the world, and rips it through his screen. And the problem with this is Triscott is not doing any of the things you need him to be doing here. you got to either clear the screen or come out and challenge the shot. Instead, he stands next to the screener like he's blocking a free kick and screens (laughs) his own goalie, right? Move the guy out of the way. Or get out and challenge a shot. Don't just stand two feet in front of your goalie right in front of him. I mean, come on. Yeah. Well, and it just sort of had a little bit of a feel that you got at the end of the game against Providence where you thought it's 5-1, to one, the game's over, and it wasn't. And it's 2 nothing. You've outskated them basically for the last four or five periods. They've barely scored at all except for when you've given anything away. And they, UMass didn't roll over and die, and Michigan sort of— I mean, They tied the game in two shifts. Immaturely expected it. Yep. And then the very next shift after the second goal, Casey gets walked and UMass nearly scores. And then a minute later, Keenan Draper cross-checks a guy in the back in the neutral zone. And what are you doing? Uh, nothing positive, it sounds like, <laughs> at least from a Michigan perspective. And so the third goal then is a shot from the, the wing that originally is called hitting the crossbar and flying out. They play three minutes, review it, and it ended up hitting the bar inside the net and shooting out. And the analyst on the broadcast called it first. He said, I think that might have gone in. But the play continued for what seemed to be five-plus minutes. Now, I think it it ended up being three or four minutes. Three and a half to four minutes. But this is ridiculous. they got to fix this. What do they have to fix? This system. You you need to do it like the NHL. You cannot have four minutes a game tie go by and then have to rewind the clock. In the NHL, when that happens, you play 15, 30 seconds, you know, and then if the play's still going on and they've reviewed it and they see it's a goal, they hit the goal horn, and then you stop, and they run. Have you ever mm. seen that before? I haven't seen that. There, I, it happened a couple... It doesn't happen that much these days, or maybe at all, but there was... <laughs> or maybe at all. <laughs> <laughs> there was one Red Wing playoff run, 2013, I believe, where there were two separate ones, both by Datsuk, and one, once, one was against Anaheim, one was against the Blackhawks, and they were similar plays. Coming down the wing, takes a shot, hits the back bar, and out. And basically what happens in that situation, in the NHL, if you score a goal that they didn't think was a goal... If before the next whistle, as soon as it happens, the people in the booth start reviewing it right away. Sure. And if they get a, a conclusion before the next whistle, they hit the goal horn, and then the play stops. You, you're playing all of a sudden, and then you have to stop playing, and they say, actually, it was a goal, and then you rewind to that time. But it's 30 seconds, 45 at the most. Because, because you have people because looking it's fairly at it. clear cut. Yeah. You just look at the replay. Oh, it's over the line. Hit the horn, and then we stop playing. That is way, but you can't, you can't have four minutes of game time. 
before you look at it. Like, so c- come on. So is part of this the fact that it's hard enough just to get people in the stands, let alone to work these games? <laughs> I think I mean, that like... is a central problem. <laughs> because, again, this is a review that doesn't need five angles piecing it together like we're detectives. Yeah. This is just one angle, and we get a conclusive decision. So I think I ended up, when there was a break, I ended up going to use the bathroom. I came back, and Michigan was down a goal, and I think there was a yell from the room, and I was like, well, something happened. But um, but that wasn't it, because then at 3-2, uh, UMass ends up with a 3-on-2 that sort of starts as a 3-on-2. Oh, hold on one second. Okay. About that power play goal. This is one I do think is more on Barczewski than anybody else, because... This, this is the third goal. Yeah, the one off the bar, because this, this is a puck tracking issue. This is... It's at the point, and he goes to the left side, and the guy takes a shot. And if you notice, Barczewski isn't over. It's not like he's over and it beats him. He gets a late read on it. Okay. And so the shot beats him when he's not even over yet. And I think he just lost sight of it at the time at, at, at the top, and then he sees it, and then he moves over. And by the time he moves over, it's already by him. Do you out. think he's expecting to shoot from that far? I don't know. It's, it's just a puck tracking thing. Okay. This is he lost sight of the puck. And then it beat him as a result. Okay. If he sees it cleanly, it doesn't beat him. So, so on the three, the three on two then starts in the neutral zone. This is the next goal you're going to talk yeah, about. Yeah, the fourth. There's one, one I want to get out of here. Crabble made a, a couple really nice saves. Michigan had a power play once they reround it to start it at three two. Yes, and there was that one wraparound by I think it was Nazer. And this is why you play a six foot seven goalie because Robble doesn't get over in terms of his sliding at all. He makes the save simply because his legs are eight feet long and he kicks it out and he's able to on one post touch the other post with his foot. Like inspector like if gadget. He's, if he's Strauss man size, that's in the net. Yeah. But he just kick. He doesn't have time to slide across. He gets a late read on it, but that's where physical gifts can make up for the the reads. So that's why you you draft a goalie that size and and recruit him to your team. There you go. And that's, I mean, that's the thing that Michigan is going to have to downshift from yep. having Portillo yep. to Barczewski, which yep. doesn't mean that he's going to be worse in any sort of way, but he's going to be different. And you do have to adjust to that, especially defensively, schematically, et cetera. So then, yes, then the fourth goal is the three on two that starts as a two on two. And Peter was telling me that he didn't like the gap control from Warren I and didn't, I didn't hate the I mean I thought they were okay gapping up the problem is there's no back checker to yeah. come help because it's a two-on-two but neither guy gets walked they keep the play in front of them the problem is the trailer is all alone because the forwards are way far away and this to me is just an extension of the score effects you're trying really hard to tie the game you're working hard everyone's deep in the zone and then you get beat and you're at the end of a shift and you're gassed and maybe they could have played a little bit better but they did play their guys. It starts as a two-on-two, two, mm-hmm. and they're defending it fine. Mm-hmm. The, the, the play is in front of them. Neither of them have been beat, and they leave it behind. They do all they can, and they leave the goalie with a clear look at the shooter, and that's all you can ask for. And you got to get a save there, and they don't get a save. So, And you could also use a back check from anyone else on the ice. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> <laughs> so it's 4-2, to two, UMass. Narado pulls the goalie with, it looked like, between 4 and 4.5 four and left. About 4.5. And it works for a little while. Michigan gets zone own time and chances, but a long-range pass goes in, or a long-range shot, I should say. It's 5-2. to They that keep him pulled. That was a sweet play. It's on the wall. I mean, the puck jars free very briefly, and the guy just grabs it right on the wall and shoots it at 170 feet, something <laughs> like that, hits it. That's 
Gotta give him credit. Yep. That was a heck of a play. Same guy ends up getting his second goal of the year. His first was the empty netter. His second was the second empty netter. So we're just and that one stat padding this that guy. That one wasn't great from TJ Hughes. He, he got denied on the entry, tried to regroup in the neutral zone, and then got stripped. Mm-hmm. And Lucas so, Van Raboys gets two empty netters and is on the board. He got outscored in the third period by a touchdown, but we blocked the extra point. So we saved. Six to two. And then I was like, does anyone need to see the last two minutes of this game? And the entire room was like, uh, no. So we turned it off. <laughs> and then apparently more fireworks happen because Michigan then gets their, finally gets their five-minute major in their favor <laughs> as there is a headshot and a guy is kicked out. And... Uh, TJ Hughes scores on the power play with the extra attacker and makes it six to three. Um, I didn't see this goal. I this falls into the category for me that you described in the last game of goals that happen at the end of a game when it, the score effects is set on fire. Good for TJ getting his second goal of the year, uh, but instead of it being relevant, it made it six to three instead of six to two. So. Uh, hooray, and the referees did their good job by giving each team a five-minute major, one of them at a completely irrelevant time in the game, that at that point you could have just ended the game and no one would have bothered. But Yep. So a uh, split on the road, and you don't, is not what I think Michigan wanted, uh, especially with a two-goal lead in the third period, where you'd basically been dominating for four or five straight periods. Um, a second, third period collapse in three games, and that's one that you just you threw it away. Let's be real here. Yep. UMass took the opportunities given to them, but you gifted them opportunities. You gifted them two power plays off terrible, terrible penalties that had no effect on the game. It wasn't a penalty to deny a goal. It wasn't anything like that. Those completely irrelevant penalties in the neutral zone and the offensive zone. And then you really got way too tight and melted down on the ice in the in the five on five in between. So not good. But they're okay for, for now. Just just doesn't affect Big Ten standings. UMass is probably an okay team. Probably They're not great, but probably okay. It won't tank your pairwise. So regroup and move on. At least it was a road game. Yeah. So there were other hockey games played over the weekend. Allegedly. Allegedly. We watched none of them. But we did I look did up... watch hockey games. It's not college. <laughs> it's not helpful to this part of the, <laughs> of the broadcast. Uh, Peter is asking for Augustana updates. He wants he he's asking that we talk about them each week, and they well, are one of our new uh, favorite teams. Favorite teams or friends. So, do you have a new fact about Augustana for us? I don't have a new fact. I have a fact that they won their first uh, D one game, which was the first D one hockey game I believe played in the state of South Dakota. I think it was. I think there that is true. They won. Their first game three to two, and they won their second game four to one well, over Bowling Green, where Craig bowling, is probably sad. They're playing a Bowling Green team where the coach has been guillotined, and the players have quit or transferred. A big scandal happened right before the season. Oh, this was the um, Swankler. Swankler, he transferred to Michigan Tech, and he was by far their best player. So this is this is like a shell of a Bowling Green. I'm trying to think of what. This is like Bar- Bar- Baylor when Art Bryles was fired, and they went like 0-12. Like, yeah. This team is brutal. But got to give credit to Augustana. They move up to the D1 level. They found a really bad team that they can beat, and they beat them twice in front of the crowd. And the and the clips from that win for the first one was great. They scored that go-ahead goal. The crowd was going crazy. 
All right. Well, that's for you, Peter. Uh, the next team is, well, so this isn't really like an old friend, so to speak, but um, it's a team that we kind of are going to keep an eye on unless Michigan goes in the absolute can. But so BU was at least number one in one of the polls. I think Minnesota maybe in the they other were, one. They but, were number one, unfortunately. But they lost to New Hampshire, who I don't think was has been very good recently. We played New Hampshire years ago. Years ago. In New Hampshire. They have cool like uniforms. I yeah, think they're the Wildcats. They are. Um, yeah, but they, they lost, lost six to four. Six to four. That's a lot of goals. A lot of goals. They, yeah, they they outshoot. I mean, New Hampshire outshoots BU as well, thirty-five to twenty-four. Oof, not great. BU does have some of their guys step up. Max Celebrini scores two goals. Lane Hudson gets an assist. Tom Willander, who was a first-round pick this past draft, he gets a goal and an assist. Luke Tuck scores. Their their offensive guys show up. But six goals go in, and that is not what you want to see. So, and if that's not enough goals for you, wait till the next night when they <laughs> host the U.S. under eighteen team and give up eight and lose eight to two. Now, this is an exhibition, so I mean, whatever. It's probably not played the same way. Who knows how much ice time and what lineups were, whatever. But eight to two, eight to two. The big storyline of this game, if you are a person that likes the NHL draft, is that Cole Iserman, who I believe is now a BU commit from Minnesota, so in some ways they're very happy about getting throttled in this game. But <laughs> Did he score all eight? No, but I didn't see it, but everybody that I follow that are draft people that were watching it basically said that he was like by far the best player on the ice and that Is that a surprise? Well, Celebrini's on the ice. Okay. That's the one that's like that's so he the first overall pick matchup. There is a guy in Russia named Ivan Demidov who's really good too. So that's notwithstanding, but at least in the Celebrini Iserman wars, there was no debate on Saturday night. And and Iserman's off to a crazy start to the season. So good for BU of the future, bad for BU right now. Uh you know, this was an interesting weekend for Michigan team t- teams on Michigan's schedule because um, a lot of them played each other and some I didn't even expect. Like for example, Providence plays one game and they play Stonehill. They played Stonehill and they won seven to one, which means they lose because <laughs> they gave up a goal. So the shots in this game, <laughs> sixty-one to six. <laughs> no, sixty-one to six. Yes. Is it is that in that's the full game? That is the full game. So Stonehill got six shots and they scored once? They did. Good <laughs> shooting percentage. They uh the shot attempts in all situations in this game were one hundred thirteen to twenty two. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen that. I've seen some crazy coursey percentages and tallies, but over a hundred to twenty two? Not not good. The stones kind of sank there for a little bit, but um, I I guess I, I don't really know what to take from this. There's nothing to take away. <laughs> the only takeaway is Stonehill is still very bad, and we should not have scheduled them. Well, we're going to talk about them next, because then they played again the next night and got drunk on seven Long Islands, because they lost to Long Island, who is... Yeah, they actually got scored three goals in this game, and, and the shot attempts were pretty competitive. So is that so? Is Long Island also then really bad? They've been very bad since they moved up. So yes. <laughs> so should we spend any more time on this game? No. Okay. We will slide past this. To uh, now, this 
is going to be an interesting series. St. Cloud um, lost twice to the Screaming Eagles of Minnesota State, who lost their coach, lost some of their players, and St. Cloud lost three to two in overtime, and then five to one. St. Cloud is one to three, just one and three to start the season. They do have two OT losses, but they are currently at a minus five goal differential through four games. A loss to St. Thomas. Yikes, man! That's not. They don't seem very good, but they lost a lot of players, so we were kind of down on them coming into the year, and maybe they'll be a little bit better by the time. Well, we were down on American them. And Thanksgiving rolls around, but we were down on them as being from like being a like a one or a two seed, but we weren't down on them like they have no shot at the tournament. Yeah. Right? I mean, they were going to be more of like a bubble team or just off the bubble, but those are teams that are like still good. They're just not, you know, a protected seed. Yeah, I thought they weren't going to be a tournament team, but I thought they'd be okay. And so far, maybe they might be not as good as we even thought they'd be, which wasn't the highest to start with. Uh, Michigan State goes to Colorado Springs to play Air Force. Now, is this a weird series? A little unusual. So they play on Thursday, Friday, because at least they figured out the scheduling, hint, hint, Michigan. And they lose on Thursday 6-5. to five. Uh, After being down 5-1, to one, they almost come back. Air Force wins it. So maybe the scheduling was not a great idea. Yeah, Michigan State, I wasn't watching this game because I don't have flow hockey. <laughs> but You have plenty of flow on top of your head, though. Obviously, uh, I was... Seeing the tweets from our good friend Jer Bear, the MSU hockey guy, seemed like a very bad defensive performance from MSU. Mm. He wasn't blaming Augustine too much. He was saying the defense was atrocious, and they gave up a lot of looks. And they do have a very young blue line, a lot of new faces. Obviously, Sturbeck and Levishinov, while talented, are both freshmen. So I imagine that they will have some of the kinks that Michigan has had over the years. And this one was... Unfortunate for them in that way. They made a valiant comeback, but they came up a little bit short. They gave up an empty netter and then scored a meaningless goal back with like four seconds left to make it six to five. Is this a bad loss? Like, is Air Force bad, bad? Or are they uh, just. Let me look at what not, they were last year, but they great. haven't been as good the last few years. So it they, could be potentially dangerous, but you never know. Michigan State did win the next game, though. They did win five to three, which again, that is uh, a lot of goals. Or You start to look at teams that you think are going to be pretty good, and oh, there's boy. just scoring everywhere. Air Force last year was eight, 17, and one in the Atlantic hockey. <laughs> in Atlanta? <laughs> yeah, they were 12, 22, and two overall. Oof. So this could be a... You want to guess the... They were 57th in pairwise, tied with Lake State. Out of what, like 59 or 60? The only teams worse than them, Long Island, Lindenwood, and Dartmouth. Dartmouth? Woof. Stonehill is not, was not eligible for oh, pairwise, yeah. so... Uh, so State goes 1-1. One one. Yeah, it could it could be a very bad loss, but yeah. we'll wait and see. Probably worse than the UMass series results? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, And then other teams that Michigan will play that play each other... Uh, Ohio State beat Lindenwood, which is consequently Michigan's next two opponents. They, they beat also them, tied them. They beat them four to two on what Friday, I believe, and then Saturday they tied them two to two. What's going on? <laughs> well, they outshot uh, Lindenwood quite a bit in the in the first game. Let me take a look at uh, what the the margins were in the second game. But it does seem like, to some degree, there is some maybe goaltending. Questions going on. Yeah, they outshot him in both games. Um, Ohio State right now, Logan Turnus is at a 909, so that's something to monitor against against 
not good teams, right? Didn't they? Yeah. Didn't they play Mercyhurst in the other game? So they played Mercyhurst and Lindenwood twice, and you got a nine oh nine. Not ideal. Nope. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a few minutes when we look at Ohio State. Penn State beats Clarkson and they beat St. Lawrence both on the road. So I don't think they've had a home game yet. They went well. They make Graham Couch happy, but I don't get it. You don't remember that? No. Oh well. He has this thing that in college basketball. He will not rank you in the in the top twenty five AP poll unless you've played a true road game. Oh, <laughs> so it, they, it's like this famous thing because like oh that's right Duke, I do remember Duke this will now. have played like yeah. seven non con games against top twenty five teams that are at neutral sites but yeah. they won't have played a road game and so then in like so mid December number one Duke is not ranked and, and it's a great bit ball. I love it it's a it's a great troll <laughs> so Penn yeah so. I don't really know what to take from this either. You know, Clarkson doesn't look... I mean, they're probably maybe okay. St. Lawrence probably isn't very good. Um, but Penn State does go on the road and get three non-con wins. Um, I don't think they look great in any of them. But they do win all three games. So there is that. Well, and they've got the terrifying prospect of AIC and Alaska Anchorage to finish out the month of October. It's too bad they don't go to Anchorage. That would be fun. Uh, Notre Dame plays one game. And they don't score in Rochester against RIT. Three uh, nothing. That seems bad. Rutrow. This is not a not a good early indicator of this team about their ability to bounce back. They have played three games and they have scored four goals. I think they lost in overtime to RIT last year, if I remember correctly. They have played three games and there are a combined ten goals in those three games. Ugh. That seems <laughs> like fun hockey. They. Uh, at least they're out shooting their opponents, but their current shooting percentage through three games is four and a half percent. And they've scored uh, four total goals, and one guy has two of those. So, hmm. <laughs> I, I think we're done with Notre Dame for the week. It's the only thing to say about it is that there are. If we were going into the year wondering if they were going to bounce back to being old Notre Dame, or if this is possibly the final stages of the Jackson era. It's not a great indicator about the bounce back part, but this weekend they play BU. So that will be very interesting. Who they'll probably beat because that's just how this goes. Well, BU couldn't keep the puck out of their net last week. And, and Notre Dame can't put it in there in the opposing <laughs> net. Stoppable so. object against, you know, movable force or whatever. There, so. you, there you go. Uh, Wisconsin plays Bemidji and wins in overtime four to three Bemidji. We haven't heard from them in a while. And then they go to Nodak and they lose two to zero. Um, I guess you'd hope they beat Bemidji, and you're not surprised they lose to Nodak. I think that's probably fair. Yeah, they the shots were pretty even in that Nodak game. It's on the road. That was in the Icebreaker tournament, by the way. Oh, which is in Grand Forks this year. The Bemidji game, Wisconsin throttled them in shots, but goaltending question marks are still there. The shots in that game, sixty-one to nineteen. Good lord. McClellan allows three goals on 19 shots. Meanwhile, Matthias Scholl, 57 of 61. Pretty good. Pretty good. So, and you know, my big question about Wisconsin, definitely not answered by this weekend. Well, we may have another question about the other co-number one team or number one team in one poll <laughs> with Minnesota. The Fighting Nate Wells has played St. Thomas twice, and on Friday, they were losing, I believe, four to three in the third <laughs> period, I think this was at St. Thomas, uh, or was this a neutral? No, this Maybe was this a was... this was in uh, XL Energy Center. Okay, so this Paul, was yeah. this was just like a neutral site game, I guess. Whatever that means, but 
Um, they do end up coming back and winning in overtime. They were down four to two in the early third period, um, and then they <laughs> tied the game pretty fast. Brody Lamb took the lead with about 14 minutes to play. Lucas Walling ties it with about six minutes to go, and then Snuggerud wins it in the three-on-three. <laughs> but shots, by the way, were 37-36. So they weren't, like, caving in St. Thomas. And they do win 3 nothing the next day, but, I mean, St. Thomas is one— maybe, maybe St. Thomas has gotten better, but St. Thomas is one of those teams that was not very good last year, near the bottom. Shots the second night were 25-24, so— well, maybe St. Thomas has made a jump. And they could have. We'll have to. They lose their best player and get better. We'll have to. They're craft the Mariners. A Ewing theory case. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know what to make of that. Really, um, we just kind of have to wait and see. Minnesota goes at Nodak this weekend, Ooh, which will be that's interesting. Interesting uh, litmus test, I guess you could say. Uh, by the way, on the icebreaker thing, did you hear where next year's icebreaker is? It, does it move around? Yes. Okay. I remember it was in Duluth the year Michigan played in it. Oh, that's, is that what it was? It was, they in, call it. it was in Grand Forks this year. Okay. Next year's Icebreaker Tournament is being hosted by the Minnesota Golden Gophers, but not where you think. Las Vegas. <laughs> well, here we go. The teams will be UMass, Omaha, Minnesota, and Air Force. Those are four teams, <laughs> I guess. I, 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 <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, Michigan's played in it before. Even even before the couple of years ago, I think I remember they played in it um, back around the time I was in school. But I guess it's a fun sort of, what, fake preseason, not yeah, actually preseason tournament. It's an tournament. interesting little tournament. Yeah. So now we'll look ahead a little bit. Michigan gets um, – they play two conference series, and then they get a Big Ten series uh, because of some scheduling quirks, I guess. They're going to host Ohio State on Friday and Saturday – Friday night is at 6 p.m., so uh, take the afternoon off, I guess, I guess, if you want to get to Yost in time. Saturday will be during the Michigan-Michigan State football game. Uh, I think I'll be watching because... We'll have it on. The other football games that night are kind of bad. Well, it's I kind mean, of a bad weekend for other football games, so... Well, at night, maybe, not during the day. Well, yeah, but there's like one in each window that's good, and then yeah. all the other games are snoozers, so... We'll definitely be watching. Um, I, you know, we talked about this <laughs> last week. It just, I, I just can't really fathom how you can host a game like this, especially with the Michigan-Michigan State game. You can make an argument, oh, if you go to Maryland, you go to Minnesota, okay, whatever. But Michigan-Michigan State, and you're expecting a bunch of people to show up at Yost, I just don't get it, man. It doesn't make a lot of sense. So Ohio State, um, we'll talk about them for a few minutes. They have different team than they did last year as they lose a lot of their top players. They graduate a few. Dobish leaves. Mason Lowry leaves. They hit the portal. They refill a little bit, but they haven't looked as strong. Um, they're probably still going to be somewhat good defensively, that they run good systems and, and develop players there. Um, the question is, are they going to be able to score goals, and are they going to be able to score goals against real teams? Well, they've played Lindenwood and scored a few, and they've and they played uh, Mercyhurst the week before and scored. We know very little some. about this team at this point in time. They've played only tomato cans, so this will be a very instructive weekend for both the or for for really Ohio State, but Michigan a little bit. But I think Michigan's probably played at least one team that's similar caliber to Ohio State. This is a series that I mean, Michigan needs to win these games. 
Like, well, if you have a desire to win the regular season, then yes. Well, I, I have that desire. Do yeah, you I have that desire, Alex? You, you never know. <laughs> it might be up in the air. Uh, so timing isn't great, at least for one game. I don't mind the 6 p.m. game. It's probably not great for fans. I, I like the fact that I don't won't be stuck at Yost late, but um, I think it's on BTN, so it, they're probably showing something else after that. This, I assume the Saturday night game will not be on BTN. The Friday night game um, is for sure... I believe, yes, that is what it looks like. So, yeah, it's hard to say a whole lot about really either team right now. We've talked about Michigan. It, we've predicted that Ohio State probably will finish in the bottom few of the conference. They probably will not be challenging to try to win it like they were last year a little bit, or at least you know, pushing for second. Um, Ohio State gave Michigan a lot of issues last year, so we'll see if they're able to run the same sort of schematic stuff that gave Michigan problems if Michigan's better suited to stop that. Get another test at both teams' goaltending, so we'll probably learn a lot. Big weekend. Listening to Michigan Hockey Cast 6.3 for Alex Drain and David Nasternak. Come back next week. We will be discussing our arch rival, the Lindenwood Lions.